Small changes can make a big difference on the race course, and that is what this Quantum Sales podcast series is all about. My name is Andy Rice, and each episode I talk to some of the biggest experts from the Far 40 world. This week, I'm talking to James Lyon, one of the most accomplished coaches in Far 40 racing, as well as being a great sailor in his own right. So welcome, James. Hey Andy, how's it going? Very good, thanks. And we're speaking transatlantic, but let's hope the the call holds up for us. I want to ask you about the role of the coach, but firstly, just tell us a little bit about your achievements in the sailing world and specifically in the Far 40. Um, I suppose uh, achievements are um, coach two Olympics uh, with the US Olympic team, um, the Finn in 2004 and uh, the Yingling in 2008. Um, Melger's 32, uh, Melger's 20 world champion, um, with Samba Party. And, um, the last year was uh, a great year with, uh, plenty of the far 40 and we ended up, uh, world champions, uh, with Alex Roper's, uh, uh, far 40. Fantastic. So you can't do much better than that, but I'm sure you're hoping to emulate that later on this year in California at the Rolex Far 40 World. So best of luck with that. But coming back to last year's campaign, what were the expectations for the campaign? Did did you have serious hopes of winning that regatta? Yeah, definitely. Um, When we all sat down at the start of the year, that the the whole goal was, um, was, was winning the Worlds. Um, I think all of us had a little bit of uh, the feeling of unfinished business after not winning the Worlds with Barking Mad um, the previous year. Okay, so what went wrong with Barking Mad and how did you address that for the Plenty campaign? I don't know if it it was so much uh, we went wrong. Probably um, we weren't quite fast enough um, in the conditions we had at the Worlds in Newport. And... uh, I think we were pretty analytical, um, Terry and Skip and Morgan, um, of of assessing where we were, and that was really going back to uh, um, the cell designers at Quantum, um, Dave Armitage and uh, Geordie Califat, and just making some small adjustments, basically, um, to uh, to basically cover an area we weren't great in. Okay, so you addressed some boat speed issues, and and that contributed to your success with Plenty the following year. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing last year is that we weren't slow in any conditions, and there were a couple of conditions uh, uh, the boat was quite fast in. Okay, now as far as the coach's role is concerned, you've worked with all-out professionals on the Olympic scene and um, in uh, some other forms of racing. But one of the things that makes the Far 40 special is its owner-driver and it's uh, a mix of pros and amateurs. So I would imagine that the coaching role has to change accordingly. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not so much how, uh, how you approach it. I think you approach it all the same way, but uh, obviously there's a different standard or expectation um, in terms of uh, skill level. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's the, that's the biggest thing is that uh, sometimes you have to do more skill building um, in the owner-driver class um, within the crew, making it a cohesive team and the boat handling good. And uh, with the professional teams, maybe on the boat handling side, there's an expectation of... Uh, um, 
a high level already and you're not really having to uh, um, do some broad stroke coaching. You're in, a, in very much in a fine stroke straight away. Okay, and where are you observing the racing from and what are you using? Are you using video equipment? What, what, what's going on in that respect? Um, for me, my biggest tool is actually the uh, very good still camera. Um, but we've got video cameras and uh, uh, we've got fo access to drone footage on uh, boats like Quantum Racing. So uh, you get a lot of different uh, views on the race course and also video cameras on the boat itself. And um, so uh, it's, uh, you certainly get to see a lot of views. Working with Terry Hutchinson, uh, I don't need to tell you that he's very structured in his approach uh, to the way that he approaches competitive sailing. I assume that you're involved, very closely involved in the debriefs at the end of the day. Um, how do you approach the debrief from a coach's perspective? How do you think you can uh, sort of get best value out of those debriefs? Yeah, I think that's the, that's the awesome thing that Terry brings to a campaign. He's structured um, and driven, and uh, he really lifts a program up and drives it and drives it forward. And I suppose what 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 I bring is to uh, to make sure that we're driving in the right direction. And really, in terms of the team, is just providing information and some analytical feedback um, so they can make some good choices on the water. Okay, um, now let's say that the team has had a bad day and um, maybe uh, people are feeling a bit down about it. How do you approach that as a coach? Um, I'm sort of a little old school. If we haven't, done, if we haven't executed the plan and uh, all our, our tune or trim was off, then I can be uh, a little bit on the hard side with the guys and... Uh, if it's just a case of that we didn't race very well for certain reasons, then I sort of try and bore down into the into the details of why, and so we can make those adjustments for tomorrow. Um, uh, what about a good day? If everyone's had a really good day, it, it, does the coach have anything to say in those situations? Yeah, you know, um, it doesn't really change too much for me. I try and keep it, you know, relatively level. Um, and but you've got to give praise when you've had a good day. You know you've got to celebrate the small victories um, along the way to to winning a regatta. So uh, you certainly uh, got to tell them well done. And Terry, one of Terry's things is about picking a boat for the day. Uh, he he says, who would you pick from today? Um, just explain a little bit about that process from your point of view. Firstly, explain what he means by that. Um, he's real. I think. I think my take of that meaning is uh, um, which boat was going best upwind, which boat was going best downwind, which boat effectively would you choose to race? And if you had the, if you if you walk down in the dock in the morning and and had the choice, which boat would you go in? And uh, and I think it's it's just a nice way of um, and being honest, you know. And uh, I think that's a great thing about. Uh, the plenty campaign from Alex Terry is that there, uh, there's there's no BS. You know, we can't sugarcoat anything, and uh, I think that's what drives has driven the the program forward a lot. At the same time, when you're in the middle of a, a campaign, you're doing a four or five day regatta. Um, 
you, you don't want anyone to feel too got at, presumably, but have you already weeded out the people like that? I mean, when you sign up to a, a campaign on Plenty, do you expect to be given it straight between the eyes if you haven't had a good day on the boat? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much, uh, um, you know, there's, uh, you got to be uh, sensitive to, uh, to, to, to everybody, you know, whether it's... Uh, um, the amateurs or the professionals, but uh, I think it's it's taken. If we're going to get better, that you've got to have a bit of a thick skin at times, you know, and uh, and you don't take it as anything bad, and it's actually positive in terms of moving. It's just uh, I think my role is to uh, um, if there's too much whipping, then that's uh, you've got to rein that back. And just observing on the race course in Far 40 Racing, what would you say are some of the most common mistakes that you see crop up on the race course or, or even off the race course and um, on the shore afterwards? I suppose the, the biggest that, you know, I, you know, I watch a, a lot of racing, it's uh, um, being high risk on the start line, high risk of the top mark, basically there. For me, they're giving away races um, when when either we execute high risk or uh, or other boats do, you know. So I think that's I certainly uh, preach a uh, a relatively low risk approach to the racing, and uh, and it's the trimmers and uh, my job to make sure that we're fast enough that we can uh, execute low risk sailing by sailing fast. Okay, and just be specific on what you mean by low risk sailing. Does that mean not pushing the the transit on the start to the nth degree? Um, not so much that it's it's positioning, you know, uh, going to a, a less dense place on the start line, um, midline starts which are harder to execute, making it if you're if you're confident makes it a little easier. Um, that that type of thing, you know, not trying to win the pin, you know, that type of uh, of high risk. But as you've alluded to just now, to some extent, you've got to make sure that you've got the raw boat speed in the boat and also that the, the trimmers and the, the driver are all up to the job of sailing out of um, less, uh, sort of less punchy situations, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, if, effectively, if you're slow, you're, you, you get pushed into more high-risk starting, more high-risk um, um, mark rounding. Um, when you're slow, but when you're fast, you can afford to uh, sail a little bit more conservatively. Now, you may not have worked with some of the Corinthian teams, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, what would be your approach if you were coaching one of the Corinthian teams who have to accept that they're going to be a click-off in terms of boat speed and boat handling? Yeah, I think you know. I think with the, the there's a lot of Corinthian teams on the the West Coast that we've been sailing with these last two years, and uh, I'd say um, at the start of uh, the 2014 season they were really off the pace, and now in 2015, having sailed against all the traveling boats for a year and a half now, they're not very far off the pace, and so uh, um, they've. Uh, They've bought some some good sales and uh, and some of the 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 tuning information from Quantum and uh, they're they're pretty much on the pace now. But I would imagine it it would be still very surprising if a Corinthian team were to win the World Championships or even finish on the podium. Would I be right in thinking that? 
Yeah, I think over a, over a series of uh, eleven to thirteen races, then you know the 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 more polished teams, the teams with uh, higher level of owner drivers, higher level of professionals, will eventually the the uh, the averages will work out for those teams. But there's certainly uh, the great thing about Far Forty racing is that any individual race I think could be won by any one of ten teams now. And maybe 2014, maybe I'd have said only five teams may have been able to actually win an individual race. Okay, so that quality is spreading down the fleet. But just coming back to this question of if you're not quite on the pace and you're not quite able to execute the kind of more conservative tactics that you were talking about earlier, um, what kind of things can you do to sort of uh, mitigate the losses around the racetrack? I think they're all, all just the normal ones. I think, uh, you know, if you, you know, if you track the boats around the racetrack is that the better boats sail a shorter distance. So I think even if you're a little off the pace, a lot of the, uh, the boats in the back, if they were pretty analytical about where they went on the race course, uh, what phase of shift they were in, they could really, uh, save quite a lot of distance. Okay, and that would even possibly be living in the bad air of a boat in front of you, would it? Yeah, I think that's the big thing about the forties. Is uh, um, you know something Terry does great is when do you when do you live in the uh, disturbed air of a boat's ahead if you're in phase, you know? And when do you make that call? I mean, if if it's a fairly even racetrack and there's not much shifting going on, presumably it's all about getting a, a clear lane. But if it's super shifty. Presumably, you, you're prepared to live in that bed air for a little bit longer. Yeah, especially, you know, a day with oscillation and you're expecting the oscillation to come back, then, you know, you'll sit in phase in a, in a relatively bad lane at times just to stay in phase and, uh, and, and then get clean air on the next one. And I'm sure I can't expect you to give away all the secrets of sailing at Long Beach, but are there any sort of broad trends that you can give people listening to this who are coming to the Rolex Far 40 World Championships later on this year? Yeah, I think, you know, um, I've, I've, I haven't done a huge amount in Long Beach, uh, but, uh, you know, Terry and uh, Skip and Morgan did uh, all the America One uh, practice there. So they're pretty, uh, they're pretty dialed in. Uh, I think the the biggest thing you hear from the locals um, that the Catalina, if the Catalina Catalina Eddy is in uh, in effect, then left can work pretty nicely, especially early in the day. But uh, as the main coastal thermal comes down the coast, then it's uh, it's pretty much a right hand track. Okay, so a, a chat with some local sailors or some local fishermen, even maybe might might be worth having a conversation with them in advance of doing the championships. Yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, and uh, and certainly people. A lot of the locals have done a lot of sailing there, so uh, they're usually pretty good at telling with the eddies coming in, or uh, or if it's just going to be a straight uh, thermal day. And for somebody else who wants to step into your shoes in ten or twenty years' time, uh, so some of the younger listeners who want to get into professional coaching. Just tell us about some of the qualities that you need and, and also uh, some of the, the things that have made it happen for you. I think the, the biggest one is just working hard, you know. I think it's, it's a bit, it's, that's, that's success in almost all fields, but definitely sailing and it has been, has been in coaching. Um, 
I think the I think the biggest thing is uh, success in coaching is uh, just providing good information, providing analytical feedback, and uh, and there's a fine line of of, uh, of how to present that information versus telling people what to do. Um, and it's always a fine line that I that I that sometimes I cross the wrong side. Um, but I work really hard just to present the information of the day so that the guys on the boat um, can make really good decisions. And that old adage of having one mouth and two ears, does that and using them in that proportion, does that apply to coaching and sailing, do you think? Oh, yeah, because, you know, like my only view from is off the boat. I'm not on the boat, and uh, the guys on the boat have great, great feel, great suggestions, and they tell you what's going on, what was happening in each maneuver. So sometimes you, or almost all the time, you got to listen to everybody first before you then go and uh, formulate some notes for debrief. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for that, James. I really appreciate it. Um, very best of luck with your season. Let's see if you can repeat that amazing feat with plenty. And if you've been listening to this podcast and you've enjoyed what you've heard, then please check out quantumsales.com and sign up for the Small Changes Big Difference series for the other episodes where we bring you lessons from the best in class.